Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. You know, it's the 25th anniversary of the Montreal Screwjob, and I promised I was going to talk about that tonight on episode 28 of the Total BC Show, but you're going to wait one more week for that because we have so much going on this week on the Total BC Show. We're going to talk to the second most famous ring announcer of all time, maybe not most famous, but quality-wise, the second best, and even maybe arguably just as good as the first best, but everyone knows Howard Finkel. It's Gary Michael Capetta who's going to be on the show tonight. I'm looking so forward to that. And we've had a lot going on here. I don't need to talk about AEW. I could talk about local wrestlers who want to be on the podcast who are getting mad that I'm not putting them on <laughs> fast enough. But oh, man. so much to talk about. How are you doing, Producer Chris? I, I am doing fantastic. You know what? For my money, Gary Gary Michael Capata is neck and neck with Fink. I can't put anybody over Fink, but he's right there. I wish I could do an imitation of Gary Michael Capetta. I, I can't do it either. I tried, and you actually made fun of me when I tried, so I'm not, not going to do it again. You know who can? Ryan Wood. Oh, Ryan, he's a good mimic. He slipped me his uh, phone number and said, hey, if you ever need a guest on the podcast, um, which is becoming more and more common, if people, as our as our listenership grows and it's growing pretty big, people are like, hey, can I get on there? Or hey, let, you should have, we should get on there and, and talk. Let me tell you, there's good, we've got a lot of great guests coming up it's sweeps months month now that we're yeah. into november the hopper's full and like i promise i'm pushing back one week only the montreal screw job and i'm going to dissect it you guys are going to be amazed no you might you're going to think i'm paranoid and you're going to think oh jfk that was a conspiracy too but okay. i will talk about the montreal <laughs> screw job next week but i got a lot to talk about this week how are you doing chris uh, yeah i'm fantastic and uh, i really just want to get into this because i heard you you <laughs> met somebody interesting this week i meet somebody interesting every single week well it's true it's but last week, I'm at the Winnipeg Blue Bomber game, and I work up in the executive suites near where the CEO's suite is for the games. And one of my friends was at the game, and his, and his name is Darren, but that's not important. And he said, yeah, I'm here with Lenny, Lenny Leonard Asper. And I was like, oh, the owner of Impact Wrestling. And he's like, yeah, I'll introduce you because you have a wrestling podcast. And I was like, oh, you know, like if he's here to enjoy the game, I'm downplaying it, right? Because what am I going to talk to Leonard yeah. Asper about, right? I'm not going to ask for a job, and I'm not like... I don't know, like, I've been introduced to people like Paul Maurice, the former head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, and I've met famous people from, you know, reality TV and wrestling people. And, you know, you I always try not never to be starstruck, right? Like Brad Paisley one yeah. time, I, I broke my foot and was working backstage at a Brad Paisley concert. And he walked by and he said, that's a hell of a limp you have there. Well, that was the extent of the conversation, right? What was yeah. I going to say? Hey, you're the best singer in the world and I think you're great. And I, I hope you play this song tonight. No, like I just said, yeah, I, I don't know. I hurt my foot, but you know what? Yeah, I'm here to work basically. Yeah. So I'm told I'm going to be introduced to Leonard Asper. And uh, right away I'm like, you know, this guy's famous for a lot of different things. He was the CEO for Ken West Global, Global Television. Yeah. He, his dad, Izzy Asper started CKND TV and then Global TV. Yeah. And I've always thought since Leonard Asper bought Impact Wrestling, or at the time TNA Wrestling, from Dixie Carter. I th I've always thought that he's a guy that would really make a difference for that brand. Mm -hmm. So I was excited, and so half time happens, and I leave my work area, and I come back after, and, the, and Darren says to me, "Oh, Lenny was here looking for you," and I'm like, "Come on, like I don't build it up too much." So early in the third quarter, 
he comes up and I didn't really recognize him. I'd seen pictures of him, but he was not in a suit, right? Like he was dressed like a football fan. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, nice to meet you. And I was like, yeah, Mr. Asper, it's great to meet you. And he, he said, uh, so you have this wrestling show? And I said, yeah, it's just something we do. Like, you know, I, I don't think the BGE show is the be all end all. I, yeah, you, I love you, doing it. I have fun doing it. But I said, yeah, it's great. And, you know, like I have a lot of fun doing it. And he said, let me ask you a question. Now that's amazing in itself. Yes. Because I should be asking him questions, right? And he said, you know, what, what are, what are we doing? What, what are we doing wrong here? Like, why can't we get over the hump? And I said, well, honestly, and this is my true opinion. I, I'm not just saying this to Leonard Asper because I'm talking to Leonard Asper. If you asked me last week what I thought of Impact Wrestling, I'd say Scott Demore is the best executive. I think you've said that before. Not in WWE. Yeah. And I said, you've got the right guy running the ship. He's doing an amazing job. He's been a, a stabilizing influence of that brand for five years now. He's he's kept it he's kept it on on pace on yep. in one direction. He navigated through a pandemic, and the one thing that Leonard Asper couldn't have expected when he bought TNA or Impact in 2017 was that Tony Khan was going to come around, right? And and have a billion, be the son of a billionaire, and have a hundred million dollars and change the salary scale for wrestling and 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 the cost yeah. per talent. So what I, I, I said, like impact wrestling has been a factory for producing talent and they, yeah. they've had a touch and they, and they get this talent and they get them for a year and they make them stars, whether that's Chelsea green, whether that's, um, who were the other guys that they lost AEW? They've lost a few. Um, and I, I, they, the names don't just jump out at me, but they've had so many good talent. Now oh, it's definitely. Josh Alexander. Yep. And I said, like. You get these guys, and then right away when you you ripen them, they're getting plucked by AEW or WWE, and that's the unfortunate situation of being number three. And he appreciated hearing that, and he said, like, how do we grow the market so that our live events can draw a little bit more? He's He put it on himself. He said, you know, maybe I'm not marketing, spending the marketing money properly. And I said, you know, I think you're doing, just stay consistent, keep up with it. And now why I say that, why I said that to Leonard Asper was because I believe All Elite has lost its way, mm -hmm. lost its momentum. And I think you're going to see a lot of weird things happen to All Elite in the next year. What I think Impact needs to do is keep their, keep their brand very consistent for the next year and, and just stick with what's working. And if they do that, they're going to really see growth. I asked him, why don't you bring Impact to Winnipeg? Yeah. And he said, you know, I'd love to do it. You know, it's something that we would definitely look at. So Winnipeg fans who are listening to the podcast, listen, the owner, just like the owner, Tony Khan would love to do Winnipeg of a yeah. for AEW, but he can't get into the Winnipeg or into the Canada Life Center. So I think there's a chance that Impact Wrestling is going to come to Winnipeg. And I think that that's something that fans should be dedicated and, and, you know, stop snoozing on Impact on Thursday nights. Yeah. Make a point of following Impact, see what they're doing, and then, you know what, go on social media and tell us what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, you know? I think it's more right than wrong. I've, I've, they are. I've got it set on my PVR, and, and that, that's all my wrestling is set on my PVR, and I just kind of I parse it out over the week. Yeah. And Impact, I'm finding that I watch it a little bit more fastidiously than WWE. Or what does fastidiously mean? Closely. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. A little clo more closely than even uh, WWE. Yeah. I honestly, because it's something different and these are talents that like I'm not 
fully aware of them at the time of tuning in. And then I'm like, wow, like Josh Alexander. Yeah, very good. He's so good. He's, yeah. I had no idea about this guy until he started making waves in, in, in TNA or Impact. Impact. Yeah. And then I got to see him here in Winnipeg and that was even better. So yeah, he's a perfect leader for that yeah, brand as a champion. I mean, Impact is doing a lot of right things. The only, the only thing that I could say, and he didn't ask me, he asked you, but the only thing I would say is just hip, hip, uh, social media, make your social media hip, hip marketing, something a little bit funny here and there, just well, something that get, get, yeah, it but, catches attention because it's not catching attention. No, right I, they're not doing social media wrong by any stretch. No, I it's think not they're doing wrong. Like, their, their graphic design is as good as it gets for a national company. The other thing is, I think that they need to be comfortable not being first or second if they yeah. can find a way to be profitable in that number three spot. And if I were them, I'd start plucking major league wrestling's talent and start plucking NWA's talent, get Nick Aldis on the roster, yes. get uh, Jacob Fatu, get uh, Alexander Hammerstone. And, and like, there are guys out there. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. Like there are guys out there that can make a difference. For it's them. a factory of talent and impact when they get them. It's almost a guarantee. They're going to get a contract within a year. Take killer cross, for example. And there's other examples of that. Um, but anyway, the big thing I will say if you meet the general manager or an owner of a sports franchise or someone, he's not going to ask you what they need to do better. No. But that was the question that was asked of me. And I, I got to tell you, what an engaging individual. And he cares about the fans. He cares about his brand. And he is a very rich man. It isn't just a toy for him. It's not just an investment. This is a guy that wants his brand to be taken seriously and be a fan's choice. So fans, stop snoozing. The next time Impact's pay-per-view is, and I should have that information, I don't, but um, the next Thursday you're watching, it's on the Fight Network in Canada. It's on, uh, a and on Access TV in the States. Make a point of watching it. And I bet you you're going to see a very serious approach to wrestling. You're not going to see Scott Demore going, oh, I want to be Booker of the Year in Dave Meltzer's eyes. You're going to see a guy that's serious, who for five years has guided that ship very properly. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised that that uh, Impact is every every bit as good as NXT maybe. And probably sure. every it's better than Rampage on Friday nights. Yeah. And it's probably just, you know, it's trying to compete with AEW. And nothing is better than watching something, a brand, a person, anyone compete. And that's what Impact wants to do. So make a point of watching it. And, uh, you know, to Darren, who introduced me to Leonard Asper, to Leonard Asper, who was very, very cordial with his time when he was out at a football game. Uh, it was a wonderful experience, and I wish you nothing but the best. Coming up on the Total BC Show, we've got Gary Michael Capetta, one of the best ring announcers of all time. We've got the Mary Brown's Mailbag with questions from fans. I'm looking forward to answering those. And, uh, yeah, Chris and I are just going to be she's our way through it like we're doing with our lives. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code Bees Cheese. Again, the code is B E E Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. The Total Bees She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bees She's Show on Twitter at Total Bees She's, on Instagram at Total Bees She's, 
or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. From the 1970s to the 1990s, this man was probably one of the two best ring announcers in the entire wrestling industry. It is an honor to have Gary Michael Capetta on the BSHE Show. How are you doing tonight, Gary? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the invitation. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you. Um, I, I'll be honest, I became a big fan of yours during the early 1990s when you were the, the voice and sort of the face of WCW Saturday Night. But your career, uh, really, that is not even the biggest part of your career. The biggest part of your career would have to be the 1970s WWWF when you ringing out some of the biggest matches in, in Vince McMahon Sr.'s territory. Um, how was that breaking in in that time and, and the type of superstar, superstars that you were introducing and the type of main events that you were introducing? Well, it, you know, it was a different world back then. Actually, my when I was working with WCW, it was a different world from, from today. I, I really had no aspirations to be a, 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 an announcer or a participant in any way in pro wrestling. Never had a, a public speaking course. It was just one night they didn't have an announcer, and I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, Grower Monsoon was a uh, part owner of the corporate end of the WWWF. And um, the event that I volunteered for was a summer event on the beach um, in New Jersey. And because it was such uh, a populated area in the summer with vacationers, they had weekly events. So he asked me to come back every week. He didn't ask me. The the figurehead, Willie Gilsenberg, asked me. Because uh, I had no idea. I just thought Gorilla Monsoon was a wrestler. I didn't know he was managed. And uh, so I came back every week. And at the end of the summer, Gorilla Monsoon called me up and asked me if I was would be available. Geez, at that time, it, this is just in mostly in New Jersey and Philadelphia. I was working two to three times a week. Wow. Yeah. And two years later, after I got to know uh, Monsoon and they were beginning to trust me, he asked me if I was interested in doing their uh, their main weekly TV show. And I said, I don't think I could. I, like, I've never done it. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, sure you can. <laughs> Sure, they ring the bell and you speak. <laughs> That's about it. Just you, you, you do what you've been doing for me for two years, and uh, and then I started on uh, WWWF, which became WWF TV, uh, and I worked for the McMahon operation for eleven years total. Okay, so most people my age remember Gorilla Monsoon as Bobby Heenan's sidekick on on WWE WWF broadcasts. How was the man? I've heard amazing stories that he was a big gambler, that he had a heart of gold, that he was tough as nails. What was your experience like with Gorilla Monsoon? Um, you know, he was the best. He, he was the reason for um, sort of anointing me and allowing me to participate in pro wrestling. Um, yeah, he had a, a, a heart of gold. He, uh, he was really my, my boss. What McMahon Sr. had done with the Northeast Territory was to cut the Northeast Territory into smaller territories, and each of his partners promoted in that area. So Monsoon lived in New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey. He promoted all the shows in New Jersey, Delaware, 
And um, and then I also worked Philadelphia because that's where we did the TV. With that came the Philadelphia Spectrum. Then eventually the Meadowlands in northern New Jersey was built. And then every once in a while they would send me out to Pittsburgh because I I was the face. I was the the TV announcer every every week. So for whatever reason they would send and I never knew the reason. Um, I never asked. They would send me out to Pittsburgh. They would send me up to Connecticut. They would send me out to Long Island, New York, Staten Island, New York. Yeah. So they they kept me very very busy. Did they ever have you do MSG? Never did MSG because Howard Finkel was Vince McMahon Jr.'s announcer. Like I was Gorilla Monsoon's announcer. So my main buildings were the Meadowlands and the Spectrum, and Howard's main building were Madison Square Garden and New Haven, Connecticut. How did you get along with Howard? Obviously, you two would be that when I said that you were the one of the two best ring announcers of my time. Howard would be the other one. How how was it the relationship with Howard? I had a good relationship with Howard. Not that we saw each other often, because there's no reason to have two ring announcers in the building at the same time. <laughs> He was not a full-time ring announcer. He was a full-time office employee with Titan Sports at the time. So he would sometimes be at the Meadowlands, I would see him mostly, to do other things. His, his announcing was a, a very small part of what he did for the company. What, but it's what made him famous, right? Well, yeah, because that, that's the part of what he did that was on television. Yeah, good point. Um one of the interesting things that you saw in your time with the WWWF was the transition from Bruno Sammartino to superstar Billy Graham to Bob Backlund. Um, a lot of people say that Bob never lived up to Bruno, and there's people who believe that Superstar should have gotten a better run on top. As a guy that was right there, what is your take on that? Well, nobody probably could have lived up to Bruno, in, in all fairness to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um he had cemented his legacy starting in 1963 as the champ. And, you know, he was champ in, you know, into the 70s, selling out arena after arena. So to expect anyone to do that is, is really not, couldn't be expected. The question, I guess, is whether or not Superstar Billy Graham should have continued to be the champ. And, um, you know, it was just something that Vince McMahon Sr. wanted. He wanted Bob Backlund as the champion. He knew a year in advance. He knew exactly what date it was going to happen. And um, he knew exactly where it was going to happen. And he just stuck to what he, the way he wanted to present his organization. And in, in your opinion, was it the right decision? I, I don't know. I mean, to, <laughs> to, second, to second guess, who knows what would have happened if Superstar continued to be the champ. I honestly don't know. And and there are other, probably other reasons, um, probably the relationship that he had with um, Japan, where he he would send um, Backlund, might have had something to do with it. Um, he, I think it may have been, and it, it maybe it wasn't overt, and maybe it wasn't at the top of McMahon Sr.'s mind, but there's always the question, I mean, if you fast forward past that to Hulk Hogan, there's always the question as to who is responsible for the success. Mm-hmm. Is it the performer or is it the promoter and how the performer, who's in charge of how the performer is presented? I, I think that's probably is in all forms of entertainment. Um, and maybe McMahon Sr. just wanted to show that he was the one that was responsible for the success 
of the of the wrestlers that he um, promoted. Don't know. Okay, so if Superstar had gotten maybe either the the longer run or a second run, could he have turned babyface and been as big as Hogan was? Probably, like, I've heard somebody suggest that that could have happened. Would that have ever worked, in your opinion? I think it, I think it could have. I, I, yeah, I, I do. I, I do think I, I do think it could have happened, given the same tools that were given to Hogan, given the same exposure, given the same platform. Superstar Billy Graham was a, a charismatic performer. He was. Uh, it's, it's funny that you're asking me this question because just today. On my Facebook page, I posted a picture of me um, introducing the match between Bruno San Martino and Superstar Billy Graham. And it was when Superstar Billy Graham was the champion and Bruno was coming back for his title. And the match that I highlighted on my Facebook page took place at the Philadelphia Spectrum. Mm-hmm. And the uh, they had two rematches at the Philadelphia Spectrum. So three consecutive events at this building that held 19,500 people sold out three times in a row. Um, On the newscast, they were telling people to stay home. There were no more tickets. (laughs) Thousands of people turned away. They had bought, in the Philadelphia Inquirer on the Sunday before the show, they had bought advertising um, by that time, the, the shows had been sold out. So across the um, the display ad in the Philadelphia Inquirer on the Sunday, they had um, a banner that said sold out. And this was for the third of the um, trifecta. In, in little print underneath, you know, thank you, Philadelphia. Um, buy your tickets early for our next show. <laughs> and then they gave the date for the next show before the show they were advertising. Yeah, to keep the momentum, probably. It was um, it was huge. It was uh, 1977 into 1988, uh, 1978. Wow. So the people badly thirsted for Bruno to win it back, obviously. that A good babyface chase would make that a hot ticket. How So Philadelphia was on fire. How was that, Matt? Were they doing the same program at MSG, and was it drawing the same there? They yeah they would take the same main event and run it around all of the main arenas. I don't know that it went to um, I don't know that it went to three matches, the two rematches uh, in Philadelphia. The last was a, a cage match, um, and and the way that finished uh, in WWF um, rules of a cage match, the only way you could win is by climbing over the top of the cage or exiting through the door. There was no, there were no pinfalls, no disqualifications. And, um, Bruno, <laughs> Bruno slugged, uh, you know, he was just, he was mapping, he was, um, just running, uh, superstar Billy Graham around the ring and, and, and he, he pummeled him so hard and hit him so hard in this one punch that he, he flew through the door. <laughs> <laughs> and that caused him to win. Yeah. And it kept Bruno strong to lose that way, obviously. And, and I mean, it was so strong because at that time, we were also taping our weekly television shows in Philadelphia. 
mm-hmm. at a, a different arena at a smaller venue um, just down the road from the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and they were cheap or free tickets to you know to see the TV show. So it, it was yeah, Philadelphia was hot. Oh, definitely. How was Bruno? Was he down to earth? Was he like uh, like a man's man? He got along with everybody. Um, I can only speak for myself, and um, yeah, down to earth is a is a perfect description. I'll give you an example. Um, back in um, the late 80s, early 90s, um, 1-900 numbers were, were huge. And um, when I was off the road with WCW, um, I would book myself to do 900 numbers. I would be the voice of the 900 numbers. Sometimes it was wrestling and sometimes it was not. <laughs> and I'd, I'd go into New York and um, I did the Bruno Lou 900 number. And um, they had booked me for hours, and uh, we were done in like a little over an hour. And the guy looked at me and he said, "Like, how how do you do that? I mean, how?" I said to him, "Well, Rick announcers, like, we don't get second chances. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm used to hitting it. As you know, not that I always hundred percent have, but he said, um, "Okay." He said, uh, "I have another one for you. It's a Lou Duva boxing nine hundred number." Um, I said, sure. I said, the next time I'm off the road with WCW, you know, let me know and we'll do it. So this next time I went back into the city and he was prepared. He had like a telephone book worth of stuff for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nino Benvenuti was, was, uh, a, I, I don't know. He was middleweight boxer or lighter. And, um, so I had to introduce him and Nino Benvenuti, I could, that's, that wasn't a problem. But I don't remember what his hometown was in Italy, but I didn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> so we said, well, let's call Bruno. So you know, Bruno will tell us how to announce it. Now, I hadn't seen Bruno, um, oh gosh, a good six, seven years since I had left the, uh, the WWF. And uh, not only you know, did he remember me, he remembered what my family's business was. He remembered what my main occupation had been. Um, and um, he said, so I said, yeah, I said, no, I'm not doing that anymore, Bruno. I said, I'm, I'm announcing full time for the Turner organization, WCW. He said, you are? He said, you think that's a good idea? He said, yeah, it's, it's working out fine. He said, well, are they taking good care of you? I said, yeah. I said, I'm, 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 I'm enjoying it. It's good. So, I mean, so he remembered specific things about me. Now, of course, I mean, I, I introduced Bruno hundreds of times, but still, um, it wouldn't have been unusual for other headliners to have no memory of the, who the ring announcer was. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, and, and Bruno and I didn't spend um, a bunch of time with each other socially, you know, outside of, um, outside of the ring, like I would with Monsoon. So, um, yeah, he was very down to earth. And then of course I saw him again when they, uh, WCW brought him in to, uh, be the guest referee at a couple different times in WCW. Um, he made a couple of appearances there. So then I was able to, um, 
to see him again. Then I saw him again. He had done something with Ring of Honor when I worked with uh, as the backstage interviewer with Ring of Honor in the 2000s. Um, so yeah, I mean our our uh, our paths intersected over the years. That's good to hear. Um, one of the interesting t- things that you experienced in your time with WWF and then WWF was the transition from Vince McMahon Sr. to Vince McMahon Jr. Uh, what were the differences between the two? Were you closer with one than the other? And how was that to experience? Um, I wouldn't say I was closer with one than the other. Um, junior, I wasn't a favorite person of juniors. I, I don't know why. I don't know what his problem was. But um, it could very well have been that he knew that I had a, a profession outside of wrestling and um, uh, I wasn't easily controlled. You know, not that there was any issue where I would have any beef about anything. Because um, when I was with the 11 years that I worked with uh, the McMahons, that was... Um, that was something that I did aside and a part of my main occupation. So, uh, because that was always at night, it was always drivable. Um, it was either in New Jersey, mostly or Philly or on a weekend if they sent me out of the area. So, I mean, I, that there was nothing to have a beef about. Um, it could just well have been that he had broken up his partnership with Monsoon. Um, I was Monsoon's guy. Um, they had an issue, even though they became close later on. Um, I don't know, but he, I, I, I just wasn't one of his his favorite guys. And how was Vince Senior? Did you have a good relationship with him? I had an okay relationship with him. I mean, I didn't have much of a relationship with him. There, there was no reason to. Oh, okay. there was no reason for me to have any interaction with um, the owners. Um, there was one time when I asked for a raise, <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, I was young. I was in my mid twenties. I was doing their main TV show. I think I was getting paid probably like forty dollars, forty or sixty dollars for three weeks worth of television because we would take three hours, so three weeks worth in one night. Mm-hmm. And um, and I thought that I had the answer to anything he would say to me. In other words, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask him for a raise. He's going to say something. And I, I had to come back except for what he said, <laughs> which was, um, he just looked at me and he said, I, I don't think I could afford it. <laughs> I was like, what do you say to a guy that you know is a gazillionaire who says that to you? Yeah. But, but very indicative of how the McMahons and Vinny to the, until the time he, he left, you know, a couple months ago. They're very much into control, and they would never, ever say he did a good job, ever, ever. And yet he knew that I deserved it. And even though he said to me, I can't afford it, at the end of the night, he told the the local promoter to put what I asked for in an envelope and gave it to me. And every television taping that I did after that, I got the raise. I got the higher amount. 
Yeah. But he just couldn't look at me and say, yes, you deserve it. Wow. So you got what you asked for, but he wasn't going to give you the satisfaction of telling you you're getting it. Yeah, I, I think they, they might have had the idea that, well, we don't want him uh, to you know be so full of himself because then he'll come back again. Yeah. Wow. Um, what made you leave WWF in 1985, was it? Because, um, well, that kind of relationship, I, I really, first off, you, you need to remember that um, nobody knew what the WWF was going to become. Um, it was just before it broke. It was just about the first WrestleMania. And I didn't see a future there for me. <laughs> and I wouldn't have left my, my full-time job because I didn't trust them because of how they you know, would, would treat people. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, Vern Gagne had just gotten a uh, contract with ESPN. And it was the first time wrestling was going to be broadcast nationally um, on a legit sports station. And um, I had been announcing the Pro Wrestling USA shows, which is the combination NWA-AWA, at the same time in my last days with WWF. So I hold the distinction of announcing for the WWF, the NWA, and the AWA all at the same time. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know how they, I got away with it. I don't know why the McMahons, you know, just didn't fire me. Yeah. But they did. did um, so I had an opportunity, to answer your question, to uh, to announce on ESPN uh, for a national broadcast. And because uh, it was it was done in, uh, it began in Atlantic City. A lot of people remember the episodes from Las Vegas. But for the first year, it emanated from uh, the Tropicana Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City before it moved to Vegas. How, how was it working for the Ganyas when you made the jump? Uh, was Vern good to you being on ESPN? Was it what you hoped for when you, when you made the decision? Um, yeah, you know, Vern was always, he was always, even after they moved the show to Las Vegas, he called me in to do a couple of his pay-per-views. Um, he brought me out to Chicago for a, Super Clash, I think it was Super Clash 3. Yeah. He brought me out to Minneapolis for Wrestle Rock. Oh, yes. Uh, Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. Um, and, yeah, he always, um, he, yeah, he always delivered what he promised. And, um, you know, he was a bit detached. Um, he was not with the times as far as wrestling goes. Uh, I could see that. But, um, personally, and he was aces with me. Do you feel fortunate you didn't have to perform in the Wrestle Rock Rumble rap video? Did you ever see that? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, I, I guess that's a blessing. <laughs> yeah, I, that is one of my favorite videos I've ever seen. Like Ken Resnick really, really hit a home run with that. Um, but I brought that up when we had Greg Gagne on the show, and he he didn't want to talk much about it, and I could see why. Um, Super Clash Three. That's been a that was a great show. It was headlined by Jerry Lawler versus Kerry Von Erich. You could tell that the AWA was struggling to continue to be a, a, a national company. How was that experience for you? It was in '88 in Chicago. Um, Lawler and Von Erich had the bloodbath main event. Um, was it a good experience for you? Um, yeah, personally, it was a good experience. I wouldn't say it was a great show, though. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's that's fair. Uh, I mean, that was that was the women's lingerie battle royal show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it was poorly attended. It was you know not not successful uh, by pay per view numbers, and it was uh, amalgamation of several different territories um, that you know that sent talent: uh, Memphis and uh, uh, Texas, Dallas. Yep. Um, yeah, I. It was uh, it was okay. I mean, it, I, I wouldn't say it's one of my, the highlights of my career, but uh, I was uh, happy to be asked, and um, yeah, and Vern treated me very well as always. Did you have any experience with Jeff? Uh, sorry, Jerry Jarrett and Fritz at that show, or was it all Vern calling the shots? Um, well, who's calling the shots and who's at the show doesn't necessarily one doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, they could you know, send their talent and tell them this is what's going to happen and this is what you're going to do mm-hmm. and not be there. So um, I don't know what happened um, promotionally, managerially. Don't know. Okay. Um, then after you leave the AWA, you end up with NWA at that time? Or do you go straight to, is, is it Turner when you pop up there? Um, I was working with the AWA and the NWA simultaneously yeah how, how was that they didn't have any issues as long as you were available it was you're basically a freelance well um uh, jim crockett and dusty and Vern Gagne, they didn't have any problem no one ever expressed any problem to me um with that happening it wasn't until wcw was formed that there was an issue because i had been doing um because of my work with Crockett, and I was doing his Baltimore monthly shows mm-hmm. for for years. I I announced in Baltimore every single month, and um, for the NWA. Um, but when Turner Broadcasting, when he sold Turner Broadcasting, um, I, you know, I was still doing their Clash of Champions. They brought me in to do pay per views. I did the the three. Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, um, matches. Uh, that was before I was full-time with them. Um, so when I did the show we just talked about in Chicago, message was sent to me that Jim Hurd, who was the exec- first executive vice president of WCW, the boss of the organization that Crockett sold to, um, sent words telling me that um, I wasn't allowed to do AWA pay-per-views because I was their announcer. <laughs> I was doing their Clash of Champions and their pay-per-views. Yeah. So I said to the person who, uh, and we were driving up to, <laughs> this was sold to me while we were driving up to New Haven, um, Connecticut, to do a Pro Wrestling USA show. And uh, so I said, well, first off, I, like, if he has a problem, why didn't he just call me and we could talk about it? But since he wants to go through review, you can tell him that as long as he doesn't, um, he doesn't guarantee me anything. I'm not going to sit home when he doesn't have work for me. I'm going to announce for whoever I want to announce for. So if he's not going to guarantee me anything, he doesn't. I'm not his announcer, and that is what led to 
my full-time contract at WCW. Yeah, you were angling for a contract, and they got what you meant, hey? No, I wasn't angling for anything. It was just what was fair. Yeah. And so then you become a full-time contract member of the ring announce team for WCW. Are you the lead guy when you sign that contract, or are you sharing the duties? Um, both, um, as far as the ring announcers go. Yeah. They, they, always, they always had two ring announcers on staff, and, um, because I, you know, I would need a night off here and there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was on the road like 200 nights a year. Wow. Was that exhausting for you as a, as a traveling ring announcer? I guess it's different for the wrestlers who do 200 dates, but like, that's a lot of travel for the ring announcer too. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, a, an excellent deal with them and, uh, which part of, uh, part of which helped me to, uh, maintain my sanity out on the road. No, I loved being on the road. Um, with no regrets, no complaints, um, it was it was good. I, I loved traveling. And you were good with Jim Hurd. He was good to you. Um, yeah, I didn't have too much. He was a crusty old guy, <laughs> and um, and you just needed to know how to deal with him. I didn't see him often because I was, like I said, I was on the road. Yeah, and uh, I didn't want to work in the office. I didn't. I, I I wanted to stay as far away from politics as I could. And, uh, and I was you know, successful in doing that. I, I would have to, you know, be in the office from time to time. Well, you know, whenever we had shows at the Omni or we would do um, the syndicated uh, WCW TV shows in the suburbs sometimes, uh, like in Gainesville, um, you know, the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, there was, a, t- there was a, a time when I was doing the event center, so I needed to come in to do that. Then there was a time when I was the Spanish voice commentator of, um, of our show for KCAL in um, Los Angeles. So, you know, but, um, and, and it's also just, you know, good for them to know who I am, you know, and so I would breeze through the office, but I didn't have, you know, all that much interaction with um, anyone in the office unless they were on the road and they were, also an active wrestler or a manager. So from the time you sign your contract with WCW, Jim Hurd's in charge, and then it goes to, does it go to K. Allen Fry, then Bill Watts, then Eric Bischoff, lots of transitioning. And over that seven or eight years that you were in WCW, why do you think WCW had a hard time competing with WWF at the time? Um... Well, for the years that I was there, um, I, I would just say that they tried to be WWF, and um, nobody can do that as well as the originators can. So I, I think they just tried to like to emulate them. They tried to copy them, and that, that's never going to work. I mean, you have to create your own promotion, your own product. So if if WWF is more showbiz, you need to um, be more a, more a more sports-based promotion. You know, provide an alternative. Mm-hmm. Still, still be as entertaining, but there there's more way, more than one way to achieve that. During um, 1992, 
92 and 93, Vader and Sting were probably the feud of the industry. They were the they were WCW's top feud, top drawing feud. How was that? Like, was Vader, you hear stories, he was like a bit of a bully and, and could be intimidating. Was he ever, did he ever pull, push his weight around with you or any of the ring announcers? Um, just speaking for myself, you know, personally, no. Um, but I, I saw two sides of him. Um, so on one side, he, he could be a, uh, difficult. And then on the other side, uh, for instance, when we would go to Harley Race's house for a barbecue, um, he was like a big teddy bear. <laughs> so, um, you know, like all of us, like we have different different sides. I, I probably, um, the pressure of being on the road and, you know, it, different people accept that in different ways. And, you know, maybe he just had a little bit more uh, of an edge to him because of that. But personally, um, I didn't have a huge problem with Leon. Once he, he let, I asked him if I could try on his Super Bowl ring. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe how huge it, it is. You know, it was. Yeah, you could have worn it as a wrist bracelet, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it might be right there. Um, during that time, Bill Watts becomes the, the head honcho. How was your relationship with Bill? I had a good I had a good relationship with everybody. I had a good relationship with Bill. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you have to know how to deal with people, and um, not everybody is the same. And um, Bill, like Ole Anderson, when uh, when he was a booker there, they were they were similar in that they knew what they wanted. They told you exactly what they wanted. If you gave them what they wanted, they were happy, and there was not a problem. Um, I was in the middle of contract negotiations when Bill Watts took over, and when my contract came through, they didn't deliver on some of the things that I had agreed with, with uh, Kip Fry. And, you know, Bill Watts was, so I went in, I, I had mentioned it to him. And he said, well, why don't you come by the office someday? It wasn't like make an appointment. It was like, come by the office someday. We'll look at it. So I said, um, okay. And I did. And I sat across from him and I said, Bill, like, this is, this is wrong and it should be. And he said, okay, what should it be? He crossed out whatever. He wrote whatever. And then he initialed it. Next item. Next item. <laughs> and, you know, he took out his granny glasses and he's looking at it and, we didn't have any problem. Sir, very um, reasonable. With me, I had no problem with it. That, that's um, it. Now, on the artistic side of things, I can give you an example. Do you remember, um, everybody remembers, when Ron Simmons became world champion? Yeah, it was a historic moment, 1992, correct? Uh, that sounds about right. It was in Baltimore. Yeah. And it was supposed to be... Um, Sting um, facing Vader for the title. But earlier in the night, Sting was attacked. He was injured. So we had a drawing in the middle of the ring. And it was uh, it was part of the uh, WCW Worldwide, which was the syndicated program. And so Bill took me and Sting and uh, Ron 
and Bader and any the referee, anyone that was involved, and he went through, he laid out how he wanted this to happen. So um, part of what he said was that he was sort of, if I remember correctly, he was sort of new as the boss at WCW at the time. And he was, his plan was to go out on TV. Um, it wasn't live, but it was syndicated tape TV and announce that Sting is injured and he will not be able to face Vader for the title tonight and that we're going to have a drawing. So I'm listening to this and um, I said nothing. And when he finished, the group started to break up. And I said to him, Bill, I said, whatever you want, not a problem. But I, I want you to consider this. If you go out, one of your, if not your first appearance as the boss of WCW, and you make the announcement that Sting is not going to face Vader for the title, which is what all those people paid to see, you are going to get booed. Is that really how you want your debut to go? I said, but if I go out and I make that announcement, who cares? I'm just the ring announcer. <laughs> they boo me all the time. <laughs> I always say things that they don't like. And uh, he stopped and he thought about it. And he said, you know what, Gare? I like that. Let's go that way. So, you know, it, it depends on how you say what you say, who who's there when you say it. You just have to know the person that you're talking to. And how to present the idea. You did it perfectly. Right. Yeah. It was like the time in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. It was the debut of El Gigante. <laughs> and it was on a Clash of the Champions. It was a live TBS special that night. And I get to the arena and... Jim Hurd is there, and he says to me, I've got something for you to do tonight. I said, okay. He said, we have a new guy. He's a giant. He's over seven feet tall. He said, good. He said, you're going to introduce him. I said, fine. He said, he's going to be on the next pay-per-view in a six-man tag, and, um, but here's, here's the challenge. He, he doesn't speak English. I said to him, okay, what language does he speak? Because <laughs> with Jim Hurd, you never knew. <laughs> and he said, he speaks Spanish. I said, well, that's fine. I speak Spanish, too. He said, right, I know that. He said, so, so you're going to interview him in Spanish, and you're going to tell the home audience what he's saying. You're <laughs> going to interpret. I said, that's fine. I, you know, not a problem. And then he says, and we have a ladder for you to stand on. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> he said, well, I sent someone down to the Home Depot. We've got this six-foot ladder. We're going to, during intermission, we're going to set it up in the ring. You're going to climb to the top of the ladder, and you're going to interview El Gigante <laughs> from the top of the ladder. I said to him, why? He said, well, because he's over seven feet tall. <laughs> So I'm thinking to myself, hmm, let me think a second here. This flimsy aluminum ladder <laughs> on an uneven surface, I'm on live television in front of 7 million people, 
I'm supposed to climb to the top. I'm not all that athletic to begin with. And it's sitting on a mat, which is an uneven surface. And I'm thinking, disaster. Yeah, you're going to fall flat in your ass. So I'm saying to myself, I'm not doing this, but I'm not. I would never say that to him. I would never say, no, Jim, there's no way I'm not doing that. Yeah. But I said to him, because you never saw a ladder on this Clash of Champions. It didn't happen. I said to him, Jim, I said, okay, but don't you think it would be more impressive if short little me was standing next to him, like where my nose is probably at his his belly button, <laughs> and I have to reach up on my t- my tippy toes to get the mic close to his, his, his mouth. Don't you think that would be more impressive? And that's what we did. Yeah, it's all in how you present the idea. You made it seem like this will, your idea is great, but we could make it even better. How about if we did it this way? That's exactly. perfect. Um, after Bill Watts, after and J- Bill was after Jim Hurd, there was Eric Bischoff. Could you have envisioned Eric Bischoff being the guy that would put WCW on top? Mm, well, not from how I knew him, you know, which he was he was the, you know, like the second or third string commentator. Yeah. Um, and, you know, an interviewer, backstage interviewer. So, no, I, there would be no reason for me to, to guess that that would happen. Obviously, Hulk Hogan was a big part of that. Do you think that was the sole, the single th- thing that put WCW on top? Well, it, it definitely you know, brought a lot more eyeballs onto the, you know, the product. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So in 1995, you ring announced WCW Uncensored, correct? Was that your last big show for the company? Hmm. Do you know where that that uh, came from? No, what? I I don't remember which city it was in. Sorry, I don't have my that. last. My last show was the a pay per view in St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know whether that and that was, was spring was of '95, right? Yeah, it was May of '95. Okay, I think that was uncensored. Um, so what happens there? Your contract comes up and even though you're the lead guy, they, they decide it's time to make a change where you're just not Bischoff's type of, type of ring announcer. What happened there? Yeah, I think yes to all that. Um, um, he probably, I, we had difficulty a year before, um, when, um, my contract had run out and, like nobody would listen to me, you know, like about like getting together to talk about it or, um, so I stayed home and they didn't think I would ever do that because huh. <laughs> I never, I never missed a show, a show like in, in the 40 years that I've been doing this, I've never missed yeah. a show. So your contract and, was up. So you just stayed home because you didn't think you had to be there. Well, they weren't. We hadn't agreed on what they were going to pay me, so why should I go? Yeah, absolutely. Your contract is up. It's on them to make sure you're under contract and scheduled to be there, right? Right. Now, conveniently, these were two dates that were... uh, One was in Maryland. I don't know where the other one was. But they were two house shows leading up to that weekend's pay-per-view. And um, when they called me and said, why weren't you at the show? I told him because I'm not under contract anymore. And unless we agree on something, 
I won't be at the pay-per-view in two days either. And um, so, yeah, there was uh, faxes going back and forth. And so I was, um, according to, to Ric Flair, uh, I um, Bischoff had run it by him, and, and Flair said, oh, you, you, have to, you, you, can't, you have to keep Gary. He, he's, he's, like really, he's been really loyal for all these years. So, um, so yeah, I had a, an extension for, the, um, for another year. And then they didn't pick it up the following day. Was it a good time for Gary Michael Capetta to leave WCW? Or were you hoping to keep going? Um, I never, I mean, I didn't dislike working there. So, um, sure, I, you know, I would have, um, I would have continued working there under the conditions that I had, um, you know, that were agreed upon. Um, I just don't think that that the 1995 administrators agreed with what the 1990 administrators had offered me. They didn't, you know, they they saw me differently. So um, there there was uh, they it was pitched to me that I could continue for the same. Um, you know, with the contract with the same benefits and the same income if I worked part-time in the office in Atlanta. And uh, I had no interest in doing that. And I had just bought a house in, um, in New Jersey, and I, I wasn't going to move. So, and I, I just, like I said before, I, 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 that would have put me in the middle of politics, and I just didn't. I just had no interest in, in doing that. I'm, I'm, I feel um, really good about um, the success that I've had in the industry without knowing anyone on the inside, without anyone doing me any favors, although people were very kind to me. Um, but I, I like to think that it was my work that caused people to keep calling me. And through those first 21 years, and for those 21 years, I was on weekly television. Yeah. I mean, continuously. Yeah. And now you have a reputation of being, in my opinion, one of the two best ring announcers of all time. And and that's not just, that's not hollow. Like, you, when I talk to my friends about Gary Michael Capetta, WCW's best era, in our opinion, wasn't the NWO era. It was 91 through 93 WCW when they were transitioning from Ric Flair and Sting and Vader were on top. And you were the, you were the first face or voice we heard on TV every week as the ring announcer. Your, your impact, your uh, legacy is amazing. And I hope, I hope you know that. Uh, And, you know, I really appreciate that you, you taking the time tonight to walk down memory lane and share it with us. That's that's very kind of you to say. I I appreciate that. Um, everybody has you know their um, their favorites. You know, for different more often than not, it's someone that you it's someone that you grew up with. Yeah. Um, you know, people will say, "Yeah, you're the voice of my childhood." So, um, and I can see that by who uh, my followers are online, social media, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, there's a certain demographic, and it it all coordinates with um, people that grew up watching me, which you know, which spans a lot of years, you know, decades. 
um, because the people that watched me when I was with WWF are older folks, and the people that watched me um, with WCW are um, more middle-aged, and then the people that watch me when I was with Ring of Honor, they, um, you know, they're whatever the generation is called after that. So I've, I've had an association with yeah. several generations of fans. Definitely, four decades. Uh, where can people follow you on social media? Um, I'm on Facebook at um, Ring GMC. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> GMC for real, the number four. So it's GMC number four, R-E-A-L. GMC for real on Facebook. Yeah. And then Gary Capetta, Gary Capetta on Twitter and uh, Instagram. Hopefully people will give you a follow. Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Um, it was wonderful. I love the walk down memory lane. I learned stuff, which is great. And thank you so much for being generous with your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Hey, B-She's listeners, Steve Rosenthal here from Powertown. As the managing partner and co-founder of Powertown Wrestling, I just wanted to let you know that our Series 1, which includes figures of the iconic Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Magnum T.A., Kerry Von Erich, Vern Gagne, and Luthez, are now available for pre-order at PowertownWrestling.com. The figures are $45 each with bundles available. Each 7-inch scale ultra figure is also showcased with personalized accessories, ringware, and championship belts. The unique book-like packaging delves into the lives and careers of the wrestlers in this series. Since our inception, we have made it our mission to celebrate the wrestlers that built this sport, and we are so excited to be able to share these figures with collectors and fans around the world. This is just the beginning for us. So be sure to follow us everywhere at Powertown Wrestling on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter. There's much more to come from Powertown, where wrestling lives on. This is Wayne Stanton from Episode 6 of the Total Bees She's Show. If you're not listening to this podcast, I think you're a coward. And now it's time for the Mary Brown's Mailbag. Mary Brown's Crave Delicious. Who has 14 Manitoba locations? Mary Brown's Chicken. Who only uses Manitoba chicken? Mary Brown's Chicken. And who only uses Manitoba-grown potatoes hand-cut in-store? I bet you've already guessed. Even Mary Brown's coleslaw is made fresh in store from whole carrots and cabbage. Download Mary Brown's app today and take advantage of money-saving deals and even a secret menu. You can order ahead to get your Mary Brown's faster. Mary Brown's Chicken. Crave delicious. Mike, two questions this week on the Mary Brown's mailbag. You're not going to pepper me with three? Oh, no, we're only doing two this week because I wanted to ask you, have you swung by Mary Brown's this week? No, I did not go to Mary Brown's oh. yet, but there's still time. It's only Monday, that, so I can go four more times this week. That's true. That's true. I'm, I'm hungry right now, so let's just get on with this. Uh, this one coming in from Mr. Generous sent to our email, totalbshees at gmail.com. Question for the Mary Brown's mailbag. I was wondering if there was anything special or different that you or promoters would do when taking the belt off of a champion, <laughs> would there be a bump uh, in pay that night 
as a thank you for or a reassurance of future <laughs> opportunities, or it's just another night at the office. And that's from Mr. Generous again. So little known facts, AWE didn't have a heavyweight champion. WFX didn't have, we had picked out who was going to be the champion, but we didn't crown them. Um, so it would go all the way back to my time at PCW when I had a heavyweight champion, and that was Brian, uh, that was uh, Chichi Cruz. So there was definitely no And Chichi Cruz won the belt, but never lost it yeah. under my book, because I believe a champion should be champion until there's a need to change the championship. In TRCW, I was just the booker, not the promoter, and Brian Jewell lost the belt to Adam Knight. So I've never been a guy that likes to book a lot of title changes because my belief is you can make that title change and the chase really special. Yes. But <laughs> to answer your question, uh, how would I handle it? Um, <laughs> maybe no notice in the crew meeting. Oh, and by the way, champs dropping the belt tonight. Um, and <laughs> Just leave it at that. Be very matter of fact. The reason being... I think a champion should take pride in carrying the company and be the champion, but I also want to see how he's going to react to, because he can't be champion forever. Although I just said, I like to keep the championship on him forever. If I have any hint that he is not going to be cooperative when it's time, I'm getting that belt off from yeah. quick, not much real screw job way fast, but I'm, I'm just not, I would really be figuring out if that guy's worthy of being championed by how he's going to react. Um, I wouldn't bump his pay to lose a match because winning and losing is at the discretion of the booker who's got the creative vision for where the company's going. Um, but I like that question because I think that if a company wants to do that for a champion or give him a replica of the belt as a, as a token of appreciation, give him an extra 50 or $100, that's great. That's a classy thing to do. But let me tell you. But you when, don't have to. Yeah, I had the best heavyweight champion ever in Chi Cruz. I was never going to... That was as good as it got, and Cheech carried that title with great pride, and he was a great, great heavyweight champion. I wasn't, when he, it was time for him to lose, he was going to get a pat on the back, a handshake, standing ovation from the boys out of appreciation, but it wasn't a monetary gain for him to drop that belt, I would say. Okay, and this one coming in from uh, Travis, long-time whoa, whoa, listener of the show whoa, as well. Whoa, 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 before you go to the next question, you're in a hurry tonight, holy, you're trying I, to get this done in world too, record too time. Too much caffeine, too okay. much caffeine, I'm just racing right next now. Next question. All right, this one's coming in from Travis, um, he's talking about <laughs> the AEW show. Uh, on the 31st, uh, he said the AW show is in a very small arena tonight, like Keystone Center size. That's, uh, you know, not everybody's going to get that reference, but... In Brandon. In Brandon. Um, it's kind of lackluster. It's kind of quiet. I feel like they could use some pumped in sound. How do you feel about sweetening the sound? Hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag if you have a question that you want me to answer. So... Here's what I'll say. Keystone Center and Brandon 6,500. So if that building is 6,500, that's not small by wrestling standards in any company. Um, piped in sound is an interesting question. Um, I've seen it done very well. I remember watching an, a an AWE match that Scott Carnegie produced. For I booked and, uh, and Scott Carnegie produced. It was Spider versus Shane Madison. And I said... Like, was the crowd that hot? Because I couldn't tell. It was it yeah. was sweet and noise. And he said, no, I did some work on that sound. And it sounded mint. Um, so if it makes me think that the two performers are doing a better job, I'm all for it. If it makes me think that, holy, the crowd's really into it, but here's where it becomes a problem. If you make the sound look good or sound good, you can't always make the crowd look good. So they, exactly. so you're hearing, yep. you're hearing what sounds like a really excited crowd, but if it's a wide shot, you're not seeing the reaction. 
then you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. They need to see the reaction. The talent needs to do what it has to do to get the crowd behind them. And sometimes it's just going to be a tough night, tough market. Um, hopefully they sell out. Hopefully it's a, it's a good crowd. Hopefully it's a hot crowd. And if they have to pipe in noise, see 3000 people can make a lot of noise. 1000 people can make a lot of noise. Um, it's just, if, if you got a dead crowd, that's when you're going to need the sweet noise. And a big shout out to the Canadian uh, crime spree spider who just added me on Facebook. I think we're going to hear spider on this show sooner or later. Yeah. Um, I know he's got great stories. He worked for the infamous Ernie Todd. Um, before we go, I want to talk about a couple of things. Rumble to remember is coming up. I'm not likely going to be in it, but we are going to have promoter Danny Duggan on in the very near future to talk about rumble for rumble to remember. Um, I love what Canadian promoters are doing right now. CWF yeah. in Ontario is doing great. That's the that's the same company that Ernie Todd once owned and sold to uh, Chris Thorne as the is promoter. It? Yeah. Oh, I didn't one. know it was legitimately still the same company. Major or kudos, ish, major know. kudos to Chris Thorne for what he's doing. Major kudos to Top Talent. You know, I'm a big fan of them in Edmonton. They've got an all ages show coming up in December. NEW just signed TV yes. in Vancouver. That's unreal. Uh, Ringside just brought the Bollywood Boys into Saskatchewan. Everyone across Canada is doing something great. WPW, we had them in law on last week to talk about what they've done with their string of sellouts. Keep doing what you're doing. When I started this show, I had a lot of critique. I had a lot of a lot of constructive things I thought you guys needed to be do, doing better. But I will be the first to say when you guys are all doing right, and this has been a great year, 2022, for Canadian promoters, you're all trying your best to hit home runs. Uh, Real Canadian Wrestling in Alberta, they yeah. do two shows a week in Edmonton and Calgary. Listen, I know you guys are trying hard and I love it. We've done our best on the Total Bishi show to, to really shout out to you guys. Primos did Primos. Some, some, something good last weekend in October. Keep doing what you're doing, but make sure you spell check on your posters because yes, if you can't God. spell the word wrestling, we got some trouble here. I'm not going to say who because I love the man who had that mistake and it's unfortunate, but wrestling is R-A-S-S-L-I-N. That's wrestling. That's the only way I know how to spell that word. <laughs> well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Erics can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Eric, when he's really high and flying, 
I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?